This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. I'm Helen Farmer. Fantastic to have you with us on the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. And we have got a real toolkit of experts for you on today's episode. We were finding out what self-care really is with Nikki, a.k.a. the Scottish Soul Sister. Some things that you can have, the coping strategies, even the phrases for staying calm and carrying on over the holidays. We had weight loss coach Hania with us talking about overeating and our feelings around food during the festive season, finding out how to avoid any injuries while playing tennis and paddle with a doctor who has worked with some of the best in the world, and William Oliver on hand to answer all of your legal questions in that free clinic. Talking self-care as we come into what for many is a very, very stressful time and I, I wonder about that term, self-care, because I think a lot of people think you know, it might mean a bit of a massage or a manicure. And yes, that can be, of course. But one recent article stated that all of this is just maintenance and the real self-care is when you can sit with yourself, enjoy your own company, carve out time for you and only you. It's about your mental state. Um, apparently, you don't need to keep your mind or body busy because you're just at peace with who you are. This sounds like a distant dream to me. So how can you control the things you can control and indeed let go of things that you can't over the holidays? Nikki Steele Osborne, a.k.a. the Scottish Soul Sister, is a life coach live with us in the studio today to offer a bit of guidance. We've had a number of questions as well. Nikki, what does self-care mean to you? So, hi. Hi. Thank you for having me Lovely back. Lovely to have you here. <laughs> um, So self-care to me is almost like having a couple of accounts. So what you said there about having your nails done, your massage, your spa days, absolutely bank those, have them there. But primarily it's your daily habits. Mm -hmm. These are what will create a structure that helps you have that sense of calm, helps you navigate when things are not so calm, Mm -hmm. especially around about Christmas time. Um, And these, to me, are your power tools. So have those in a different account. And then you can dip in and out of these tools as and when required. But to me, it's your daily habits. Now, some of the things we kind of mentioned there, you're pampering. I just hear like the the ding of a cash register. And I think for a lot of people, that's like, well, yeah, I'd love to go for massage, but that's, you know, a few hundred dirhams. Or that's time that I could perhaps be using to catch up on tasks that might make me feel more relaxed about my day to day. So I'm, I'm curious in terms of let's talk about some of those tools that you can have in your toolkit for staying calm, things that you can reach for when you feel yourself getting, uh, you know, you know that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. What what are some of the things that you do? So one of the the first things that you touched on was the the monetary value. And I have lots to say about this. So to me, a form of self-care is sitting down together with your family and creating a budget, particularly coming into a time like this, Mm -hmm. setting up these boundaries because that niggling voice in your head, I shouldn't be spending this, this is too much, that is not... Or the the other voice, which was, I should be spending this, this is what holidays look like, or the the kids are asking for things, and through no fault of their own. A lot of kids have got no concept of what something costs and what that equals to in terms of you you know someone being at work for example so talk to us about how having that budgetary chat as a family can be beneficial so through having the budget chat you then can open up narrative um and i just was talking about this recently so i have a group of girlfriends here we have a whatsapp group we all have children 
And I wrote a list and I'm like, okay, so say there's 12 families. Yes, in, in an ideal world, I would love to buy them all beautiful gifts, but it's not going yeah. to work for us. So I opened the narrative and I said, guys, can we make an agreement now that we don't exchange gifts for the kids this year? And they were like, absolutely, Nikki. We've mm-hmm. all got our own stuff. We've all got our own families, you know. And it just took that pressure off. Because that's the thing. It's that it's that gap between expectation and reality. Absolutely. And it's the awkwardness that if you do see someone and there's a, an exchange gift and you go, oh, no. I've, first yeah. of all, I've got nothing to, to give you. And now I'm in this kind of pit of guilt. Yeah. I think that's really, really mature of you. Yeah, because because these are things we do stew on. I yes. stew on them all the time. My mum's my mum's got the loveliest group of group of friends who she's been mates with literally since she was pregnant with me. There's Auntie Deborah, there's Sue, there's Christine, you know. And I you know we go back and they're foisting presents on the kids and I feel ter- first of all, my they don't need these things. Yeah. We've got to carry yeah. them back. And then I feel and they do it out of love. I know they do. But I wish I'd had the maturity just to kind of shut this down yeah. a long time ago. But it's really encouraging that your friends were so receptive to that. Yeah. Or even create a boundary. You know, if it's that you you do and you want to and you can, mm-hmm. then create a boundary and say, OK, can we make an agreement on X amount? Yeah. Um, and I actually just had the conversation with the school mums as well, because there was, to me, a massive expectation of what we should be contributing mm-hmm. to the teacher's gifts. So, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be invited to the <laughs> mums groups. things. <laughs> no, but listen, everyone, everyone has got their own financial situations. Yes. Everyone has their own emotional boundaries. Yeah. And I think owning that, that is absolutely a form of self-care. Yeah. Great one. We're talking self-care, whatever that means to you, and hopefully equipping you with some practical tips, something, some bits for your toolkit for what is, for many people, a very, very stressful time. We have got the Scottish soul sister herself, Nikki Steele Osborne, is in the studio. Life coach who helps an awful lot of people um, deal with exactly this. What are some of the issues that you're having with clients right now? What are you hearing from the Dubai community? So it is... Um you know, a lot of the boundaries stuff that we were talking about and about expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that goes across the board. Expectations, we often don't open a narrative because we expect a particular reaction. Mm-hmm. Nine times out of ten, that's not the reaction you get, you know. If there is something that is looking like it could be a conflict or that is not sitting comfortably, then we've got to switch that perspective you know, and consider that actually the other person might be grateful for you opening up mm-hmm. and discussing it, bringing it to the table. We are talking about some of the things you can and can and perhaps should do, um, whether that is weaving things into your daily routine or indeed having something you can go to when you feel those moments of stress. Julie's saying women are so good at piling on the guilt and something as simple as a quiet cup of tea is self-care. Yeah. You mentioned there um, starting off with you know, talking about money, having a budget with, with, with your family. What else do you feel like can be beneficial for a family that can then reap the rewards to the parents? So I think it's about organising your your days and your times and making sure that that is not just, you know, the to-do list. Mm-hmm. It's about prioritising your times. So, you know, a lot of us here, we now have the kids off school on holiday, so it changes all our little routines. So it's identifying that from the get-go and saying, look, this is non-negotiable. So, for example, my thing is that I do a seven-minute workout in the morning and I take the dog for a walk. I leave the phone at home and I go out and I have that connection 
with the outside world, which now is amazing God, because bliss. this is the time, right, mm. in Dubai. It's just gorgeous. So those are non-negotiable, despite my son, you know, disputing this and telling me he wants to watch Bluey. I'm hey, like, Bluey's fantastic. I love Bluey. Out of all of the TV programmes, I'll sit and watch Bluey back to back. He's, he's got good taste. He does. But he is he infringing does. on your time. And I actually shared a Bluey thing this morning on my Facebook group. I've got a group and it's... Um, it's the mums, you know, and it's an episode where one of the mums is saying, you know, you're doing a great job and it does bring tears to your eyes and you're thinking, this is a cartoon. I, I know the episode you're talking about where it's they're sitting brilliant. on the steps outside the yes. house. It's yes. gorgeous. Is it weird also to have a bit of a crush on a cartoon dog? I think it's, Bandit is the best brilliant. dad in the world. He's brilliant. So, um. you're, so you're fighting for your right to work out for seven minutes. So TV we're doing the seven minutes, which is fine. Um but yes, and then getting out and connecting with nature. And the reason that these are non-negotiable is because these are the framework to my own mental health, which impacts my reactions, emotions and behaviours. And you and you recognise that. Yeah. Like you know that's what you yeah. need in order to be calmer, to be a better communicator with your family, to yeah. be more effective in the world and more at peace with yourself. And that's, that's all it takes. So, yeah. And we've created, you know almost like schedules for my husband and I to make sure that we are peppering our days. And that's how I always describe it, is peppering your days with things that make you feel good. So mm-hmm. one of the the comments you had made there was that, you know, having a cup of tea by yourself, you know, don't minimalise these things because these are our little reset buttons and we need to utilise them more, mm-hmm. you know. Something I did um, when I was having a bit of a, a down day a few months ago is I did exactly that. I wrote a little list in my iPhone notes of things that do make me feel better. And this is going to sound so ridiculous. I love watching Lip Sync Battle on YouTube. Like It really made, makes me giggle. There's some songs, there's some meditations I like. I do my Wordle every day. You know, yeah. like these little things that are real touch points. And sometimes yeah. it's a, you know, stretching or it's a bath or screaming into a pillow, whatever you, yes. whatever, whatever you need to do. But writing it down is massive, like taking pen to paper, you know, if you're asking Santa for anything this year, ask for some sexy stationery mm-hmm. and get writing because what it does is it puts it in front of you in black and white. It gives you the intentions, you know, it can serve as reminders when we are feeling a bit stressed out. If you have that as a visual tool, that you can reflect upon and go, do you know what? I need to go and sing really loudly to Anastasia right now while I'm in the shower and everything will be sweet. (laughs) This is one um, online health expert talking about how investing in ourselves is vital. Investing is self-care. When you invest in yourself, you're looking after yourself. This rejuvenates and it energises you. What do you like doing? This demonstrates your worth. When you put aside time for things that you enjoy doing, it demonstrates your worth. It leads to improved self-esteem and a more positive outlook on the world. And I think that just reminds us of that, you know, the old analogy that we always hear of, you know, you you can't pour from an empty cup, but also the, you know, you... you you put on your own oxygen mask before some, helping someone else. And when we spoke to Chris Willard, um, Dr. Chris Willard, at the Parenthood Unconference recently. Hopefully I met him when I was there. He was gorgeous. Absolutely yeah. loved his whole philosophy. But he was talking about actually a more effective way of looking at it is, imagine you're in turbulence and the pilot is going, oh my God, you know, going, having an absolute meltdown over, yeah. over the mic and everyone's running around like headless chickens. He's like, you know, your, your mood can set the tone for the whole family. Oh, absolutely. And if you're calm and you're feeling in control and you know what you do and or you need to do in order to feel that way then you know you are you're the port in the storm we 
are talking some coping strategies, things to have in your toolkit when it comes to looking after yourself and your sanity over the holidays with Nikki Steele Osborne, aka the Scottish Soul Sister. She's a life coach and is dealing with this with many a client at the moment. So if you are struggling right now or you're worried about what you could be dealing with over the coming weeks, you're absolutely not alone. You can by all means get in touch with any questions. And I wondered, Nikki, if in-laws were going to feature in this conversation. No name on this message saying any tips for dealing with stress from in-laws. We're staying with them for a week and I can already feel my hackles rise. (laughs) I'm very fortunate that I've got brilliant in-laws, but I don't even think it's just in-laws. I think when you are in a different environment, you're sharing your environment, you're coming out of your normal routine, then yes, it can trigger you. Mm -hmm. Um, You can become reactive. The fact that you've messaged in means that you are aware of it, so you're halfway there. It's unlikely that you're going to be able to change the behaviours of the in-laws, whatever it is they're doing that's annoying you. You know, what I would say is when you are becoming aware that those hackles are going up, break that cycle. Try and just step out for a moment. And when you step out, there's a visual thing that you can do where you pretend to be a fire extinguisher. Go on. Right. And what you do is you double breathe in through the nose. So you take two deep breaths. And as you exhale through your mouth, you pretend that you're a fire extinguisher and you're calming whatever it is that is irritating you. (laughs) So whether it's an in-law, a child, a partner. This is a great one for the toolkit. I'm going to be hyperventilating all over the Dubai. I know, it's brilliant. (laughs) I I spoke about this on a webinar with nursery um, parents and they were all... (laughs) (laughs) Pass the paper bags. And and what I would say to that is exactly that. Awareness is is really, really key. But also what I find, and I'm not talking about my in-laws in particular in case my husband is driving and is in the car right now, but indeed anybody. But if I am feeling tired, emotional, vulnerable, words or behaviours can really, really get to me. And I find myself becoming not often angry, but often tearful and frustrated. But if I'm feeling well-rested and buoyant and optimistic then it, it can just be water off a duck's back. Yeah. Um, and I, for me, like self-care is sleep. 100%. Yes. If I'm, I went to bed last night at 10 past nine and woke up at about half past seven because because there's no school. I'm yeah. happy days. Let's all have a little bit of a lie in. Um, and I'm feeling in so much more of a better mental state than I was this time last week because I was yeah. absolutely exhausted. Sleep is one of my things as well. And um, my husband probably is listening. <laughs> but we've, we've actually been in separate bedrooms recently because he had this horrible cold that's going around. Mm-hmm. So he was coughing and it was like, OK, I love you, but why do I have to stay up all night because <laughs> you're coughing? We've got a spare room. I'm going to utilise it. And it was like playing hotels. But what it's meant is that I've been rested, so less reactive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it does start with you. Like we're saying, this is the whole point. We're all very quick to blame other people and the impact they have on us, but we have to be accountable for our reactions. So that starts with looking after yourself and making sure you're in a good headspace. Um, One thing I wanted to ask you was about kind of morning routines, because a big thing on social media right now is this kind of, here's my morning routine between five and nine. Forget your nine to five. This is what I do from 5am. And it's all these like very aesthetically pleasing um, kind of yogis. 
yeah. um, who are like, here I am making my green juice in my cream apartment. And here I am, <laughs> you know, stretching in a way that shows absolutely no folds of flesh at all. And here I am journaling um, and I'm going to go for a run now, then I'm going to shower and then here's my skincare routine. And here I am by 7.30 and I'm like... Please tell me this is like, so two things. One, I guess, is that comparison piece, because for me, my morning's not like that. I I mean, I do say I had a lie-in of probably two hours more than I normally would from 5.30 to 7.30 this morning. But my routine is with, you know, being honest, with the help of our nanny, getting two kids ready for school, getting myself ready for work, trying to fit in you know, a bit of a stretch and my word puzzle. Um, and, you know, just, just getting out the door. For So yeah. what about some morning things? Because Robin Sharma would have us waking up at 5am every yeah. morning to work on ourselves. But that's great what you already do. And I think it's the thing where you, you can look at these ones on Instagram where it all looks aesthetically pleasing, right? So my, <laughs> I'm going to throw in what mine looks like. Yeah, go on. And I've never recorded it. <laughs> do you know what, Nikki, let's do it. <laughs> Let, let's, 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 let's scare let, let's, the bejesus out flip, of everyone. Let's flip the script about what normal people do between 5am and 9am, you know, which is screaming into the void or at the traffic lights. Yeah. yeah, it's like, you know, I do get up at 5.30 and I do a seven minute workout, but it's not in a nice cream apartment with skincare. It's like in my underwear <laughs> and the dog has a wee bed at the bottom of our, our bed and that's usually where I do it, is on the dog's bed in front of my laptop <laughs> so with the guidance to the seven-minute workout. Um, and then I have breakfast with my little man. So my advice is always look at these things as inspiration. Okay, what can you take from that? It doesn't mean it has to reflect that. You look at it and go, well, what could I do better? Mm-hmm. And yes, you are going to have to make shifts. You know, some of it ex- is extreme, the 5am start and what have you. No, of course you don't have to do that if that's not your groove. You know, create something that works for you. So what I found was that those seven minutes, so it means getting up 10 minutes earlier. Fine. That was doable to me. That's sustainable. It also means that if I fall off it, you know, at the weekends or during holidays, it's easy to get back into it. Mm -hmm. It's cost effective. And it just starts my day in a better headspace. Can I ask you what you do? Just curious. Is it an online thing? It's an online seven-minute low-impact workout. Um, Will you send me the link? And it just, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's in my online program. Is like I, I totally advocate for it because I really feel like the way that I start my day is, you know, it changes the trajectory mm-hmm. of my day. If I get up and I'm grumpy and then I'm reactive to Archie, you know then that sets the precedence for my day. So I do have a thing about morning routine, but it doesn't mean that there's a right or a wrong way, you know. And some of these things that are portrayed on social media are, I just think the rest of their apartments are just an absolute hellscape of just like plastic stuff. (laughs) It's got got to be. That's where they put all the clutter, isn't it? But maybe that is the interesting point about, you know, maybe self-care is not using social media so much over the holiday and not comparing ourselves to what can be frankly obscene number of presents under a Christmas tree. And that's another morning routine thing. Don't grab your phone the minute you open your eyes. I know. And once you get into the groove of it, because it's like anything, you've got to make these little shifts, but it can have a massive impact. And don't grab your phone the minute you get up because your, your brain's not even going yet. You know, and you're flooding it with all these images and these comparisons. Mm. And so you get up feeling like you're just not living your life right. (laughs) 
Nikki, for anyone that does want your help, whether it's over the holidays or indeed moving forward into 2023, what's the best yeah. way of getting in touch with you? I'm on um, all the social media platforms. Um, if you Google the Scottish Soul Sister, you'll find the website there and then you can find all the social media places from there, whatever suits you best. You're a superstar. Thank you might you. be hearing from me in 2023. <laughs> <laughs> if you do want Nikki's details, drop me a little line on 4001. You've got the ARN Play app and the WhatsApp too. So as the year winds down, the rhetoric around weight loss resolutions tends to ramp up. Additionally, it is the season uh, for unsolicited comments on how much we're eating and our bodies from family members as well. Exciting for that. So how can we keep our emotions around food in check, especially if we're looking to keep healthy, stay healthy and keep up some momentum over the holidays. Hania Mahmoud is with us today, holistic weight loss coach to help everyone feel a little bit more in control. Hania, what are some of the concerns that your clients are coming to you with around food and how they behave around food over the holidays? Yeah, hi, Helen. Um, So, well, a couple of concerns are that, first of all, um, they're going to be home more with the kids. So there's more access to snacking and food around the house. And then secondly, of course, it's like the festive season. So uh, more parties, more hanging out with friends, richer foods. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, do we... Uh, deprive ourselves? Do we indulge? Like, where's the, you know, what's the fine line? So those are kind of the struggles that I'm hearing at the moment. And a lot of people that you work with, you know, you you are there kind of every step of the way. And getting started is often, you know, the hardest part. But maintaining that momentum and motivation is really, really challenging. As you're saying, you know, if you're traveling and you're not in your home environment, you can't necessarily control the foods that you're bringing into the home or that you can choose. Do people kind of feel like they lose control and go off the rails because of those external factors more so than what they're feeling? That's a really good point, Helen. And the thing is, it's I'm always talking about the following, is that we need to work on our internal selves. Um, and that's when it becomes easier when our external isn't going according to our wishes. So that would look like, um, you know, making sure that you check in with yourself, like, you know, are you feeling flustered? Are you feeling, let's say you're staying with family, it can be difficult for some situations. Mm-hmm. So make sure you take that time for yourself. Because a lot of times when we don't manage those kind of emotions that we're going through, uh, what happens is that we leave, you know, we'll open the cupboard or we'll have extra dessert and and whatnot or maybe we're just we've had enough of being around our kids all day long and so we're like heading out for the chocolate you know I think I think that kind of unfamiliar environment and also I mean the way I see people shopping for Christmas in particular it's like there's some kind of apocalypse like there's the trolleys (laughs) just absolutely you know overflowing as if they're going to close the supermarkets for a week and we've we've got to got to stockpile and I think we just kind of fall into this mentality of of kind of almost like panic buying and saying well it's you know it's not the holidays unless we've eaten this and made this and da 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 and food is such a such a focus and I'm not saying my goodness I absolutely am looking forward to indulging i'm heading off to the uk next weekend to me happiness is my parents fridge it is full (laughs) of just gorgeous it's just it's just absolutely abundant but there's also those conversations and i know i certainly had this with my mum in particular growing up conversations about weight and you know the 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 look of if you go for seconds or conversely in some cultures and families food equals love 
And you're there going, well, I actually don't want or need to eat all of that, but I'm now feeling pressure. I think it's really important to have that conversation because most, I mean, we're, we're adults now, right? We're not like 12 or, or we try to. <laughs> the problem is that when I'm in my parents' house, I'm 15 again. Yeah, we get triggered, right? Oh, like the same patterns yeah. come up. That's true. So, I mean, as much as we can, we, we, we take control of the measures we can. So like if, if you are with your parents, you could get the food that, you know, that is like your sort of healthy breakfast. Yes, we will splurge over the holidays. It's just the nature of, it's just how it is. We need to mm-hmm. accept it. But from there to be perfectionist and be really harsh on ourselves, like that doesn't help us get us anywhere. Right. So I would say, like, you know, be mindful about the choices that you do make. Like, let's not just eat because it's there. Like there's this like fear of missing out around food, mm-hmm. which, you know, thankfully, most of us, all of your listeners probably don't have a problem with like food uh, scarcity in their home or in their holidays. So let's not pretend that that's uh, the case. So it's important to, to, to revisit like what kind of childhood attitude you're bringing towards the table right and and think about it journal about it and and check in with yourself like am i just eating it because it's there i don't have to eat you know i can choose the three things i really like from the table without taking like you know quarter plate portions of it right because sometimes it's just the taste that we need that gives us that little bit of a you know the feeling that we've participated so a, a bite rather than a binge I, I'm I'm all for like 20 bites rather than like, you know, three proper helpings. Like that's what works for me. But everybody has their own way. Hanya Mahmood is with us today. She is a holistic weight loss coach helping clients start their journey, keep their journey um, in terms of getting and staying healthy. And the holidays can be an emotional one for many, for many reasons, for, well, money, family, <laughs> dynamics, food. And if you have got some disordered eatings um, habits, then it can be a very triggering time. And I, I wondered, Hania, if you're able to give us a little bit into the psychology of why people binge, because when there, there is this time of excess, that path must be even more slippery. Yeah. Um, so, well, there are a couple of things which happen when we binge. What I tend to see the most is that people who who binge often they also have a pattern of yo-yo dieting so they've not so far managed to find that moderate uh balanced ground you know relationship with their food Mm -hmm. so binging i binging will happen inevitably if you have a history of deprivation because we're just not meant to be so harsh on ourselves and we cannot just erase the history that we have around food and that's what people think they can do unfortunately so that's one thing uh, in itself and then secondly um, another thing that will often open the trap to binging is a poor emotional regulation so uh, that pretty much means that when I am feeling sad frustrated angry misunderstood fill in the blank uh, food will help me feel better but Actually, it is the biggest self-sabotaging myth Mm -hmm. and we end up feeling worse than we did before. So we need to sort of address the root cause of the emotion versus just the covering up uh, binge reaction. I think that's so true. And I've done this before, you know, and and with other addictions, you know, you can remove them from your life just to some extent. Food is something that is in your life because you need it to 
live. You know, you need that energy. And there was a, there's a really interesting TED talk that I'm, I'm sure you've seen and we've talked about before from Johan Hari, and he talks about addictions. And he believes that disconnection is the root of all addiction. And I think that is a really interesting take. Like, as you're saying, if you are feeling bored, lonely, disconnected, then the fridge can open, that, you know, you start to distract yourself. And that distraction can be can be really effective you know but as you say you end up feeling worse and worse and you get into this shame spiral and you know the number of posts i've seen on social media about oh you know i'm just just gonna just gonna forget the scales until until the new year and you know it's a christmas free for all now but what about that moderation message yeah, so that's a bit of a dangerous one that you just mentioned, like the free pass for Christmas, because that could really get us into a lot of trouble. So I don't recommend that uh, for most people. Um, the thing is, uh, th- the path of moderation sounds a lot easier than for some people. It can really be a struggle, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you have that history of your dieting. Now, the thing is, um, I, I'd invite your listeners to, to think to realize that they that they have control over their lives because often binging comes from feeling that you actually have no control in your life. Mm-hmm. So you're taking it, you know, this relationship of food, you do have control and that gets overused and overdone. So when you start uh, setting up your life, you know, trying to organize it in a way that you feel that you, you know, you work around the things that you do have control, which is, for example, the time you wake up in the morning or the friends that you decide to keep in your life, right? There's some factors that we can choose and some we, we can choose less. So when you play with the variables you can choose, you feel a sense of, uh, you know, having somewhat control and managing your happiness and contentment. And you'll be less likely to then fall into these uh, traps of uh, just feeling like really uh, that, that you've lost it. So we do, food does not have to, empower us we we choose the food that goes into our mouth Mm -hmm. right that that has to be the dynamic um yeah what about some kind of very practical coping strategies whether it is words to say to well-meaning family or a process we can go through in our mind before we reach for something that we know we ultimately don't really want or need yeah so first of all i think from a very practical point of view let's not keep uh the dangerous foods around in the house, like when we know, like I, I always, I always say, like if there's some pastry that you really like, or you know, some brand of chips, like make it kind of like your treat, like something special. Just don't buy a whole box of a box of like twenty packets, and then you know, you know, you're going to have that. So it's helpful to not have those things around to and control make, the environment. Control your environment. <laughs> And maybe make an outing with your kids, like a pizza outing or an ice cream outing. So actually you get some benefit from the experience, mm-hmm. you know, as well as, as eating. Yes, correct. And and I think the more we build awareness, uh, coming back to your question about how to control our, our you know, this, these habits, the more we start listening to what our body, what our mind is saying, for example, cues of unhappiness, because that's the problem. Like, let's say somebody's upset with their work environment. So what happens is they're not going to maybe face their boss or their colleague, and it'll just be building up. And they're unhappy, unhappy, unhappy. And then they'll start maybe eating or let's, you know, cut the, you know what I mean? Like, let's, yeah. let's cut it in the root. Like, let's, let's, let's be courageous enough to face 
our fears. And it's tough and it takes practice and, and it's really good to get support with that, you know. I was just um, about to say, sometimes that's not something you can do on your own. Anya, thank you so much. If anyone does want to reach out for you, for whether it is a bit of hand-holding over a, a time period that they think is going to be problematic or indeed embarking on a, a, you know, a longer relationship, um, what's the best way of getting in touch with you? Oh, you could please feel free to check out my content on Instagram. It's Healthy Hania, so H-A-N-I-Y-A, one word. And if you want the details, feel free to drop me a little line. Happy holidays to you. Thank you. We'll see you in New Year. I'm sure we'll be talking about some realistic resolutions come January. (laughs) If you don't have these details, by all means, drop me a line on 4001. Healthy Habits. On Afternoons with Helen Farmer. We love introducing you to the experts in a free clinic now with consultant orthopaedic surgeon and the head of orthopaedic department at Health Point Hospital in Abu Dhabi. Dr. Hassan Baldoun was with us today. Dr. Baldoun has served as the assistant team physician for the New York Patriots, the Boston Bruins, the Boston Red Sox as well. So any sports injuries out there, he is your man. We're talking tennis today because the Mabadala World Tennis Championship is back starting on the 16th. And I've played it myself many a time against my doctor's orders paddle tennis absolutely exploding in popularity across the UAE so what do you need to know any questions get in touch Dr. Badoon how are you? Hi Helen how are you doing? I'm doing well. Good. Thanks for having me. Well thank you for thank you for being with us I want to talk paddle first because as I said we're seeing paddle tennis courts popping up all over the UAE and I got into a, a regular Tuesday night game me and my husband another couple until our opponent got a knee injury <laughs> and I'm sure that's probably not news to you what are some of the most common tennis related injuries that you're getting into clinic so let's divide those into actually first paddle tennis and then tennis yes. because paddle tennis is a little bit of a different beast than tennis paddle tennis is extremely explosive it's very high p- paced and uh, you get injuries both lower extremity as well as upper extremity Uh, Regular tennis is more of a controlled game where you're shooting across a longer court. Mm -hmm. So you can sort of anticipate what you're going to be doing with your your legs. Ah, That's an interesting distinction. So so when you're saying about you've got more time to respond in perhaps a more forgiving nature for your body, whereas with paddle, you're having to make those quick decisions and more as you say, kind of explosive, quite lateral movements, perhaps more so than regular tennis. Correct, correct. So it's not just the explosive motion, it's the explosive motion and add on top of that the fact that we think that we're going to be able to get every single ball Mm -hmm. and that's the recipe (laughs) for disaster because uh, myself included, uh, I think that I'm John McEnroe every time I'm on a paddle tennis court. (laughs) I I think most of us are like that, to be honest. You're you're not alone. so what kind of injuries so are we get, talking? Exactly. So you get a lot of knee injuries. I, we've, we've been seeing a plethora of ACL injuries, mm-hmm. meniscus tears, Achilles tears. And those are all uh, really the weekend warrior injuries, whereby people who are not ready for those uh, games show up to that uh, court. And then uh, uh, lo and behold. Yeah, into the clinic we find. So is there anyone that you would advise not playing tennis, um, especially perhaps starting, I'm going to be careful how I phrase this, later in life? Matter of fact, especially when it comes to tennis, the beauty of the game is that it's one of those games that you can carry from your uh, really early years into your golden years. Uh, You start off uh, initially playing aggressively and then you can continue to pick up a game of doubles uh, tennis. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
no matter how late, it's all about how you start. And uh, there's a regular saying in the sports medicine field, start low, go slow, aim high. Mm. And if you're going to follow those, uh, you're pretty much setting up yourself for success. Uh, Dr. Bedoun, we've got a message from Pete saying, the outside of my knee when running, sometimes even walking, feels like it's stretching, pinging, going to snap. I'd love to take up tennis again, but this worries me. Imagine elastic band being pulled, then let go. It feels like that. Any ideas? What is what is this? What comes to mind, Doctor? Most commonly, this is iliotibial band until proven otherwise. ITB syndrome is extremely common, and the culprits are twofold. One, this is uh, tightness of the iliotibial band, and two, weakness in the core musculature. The solution is to address both problems, stretching the ITB, and addressing your core. I would not typically be worried. That being said, I would be seen by a professional before uh, going back on the field. Good luck, Pete. And Leanne saying, thanks for this great timing. I'm late 30s, not played tennis properly in years. Previously, I've been running three times a week for three miles at a trot. So fitness non-existent. Tennis is a whole, whole different ball game. Saying, played tennis for the first time last week. Now my knees and shoulder are feeling the burn. Does the doctor have any tips or links for supplementary strength and conditioning exercises or any other advice so I don't feel sore? Don't want to pick up an injury when I've barely started. Good bit of prep there, Leanne. What would you what would you advise there for? I guess I mean, that's a really good point. Strength and conditioning exercises to support you in tennis. Of course. And it's literally exactly what we had alluded to earlier. You want to start low. So you don't want to pick up and start going three times a week. You want to start with a single game, half an hour, gradually building it up. You want to gradually build up one intensity and two duration mm-hmm. of the uh, of the game. Uh, Second up, you want to actually do other exercises to help with that. You alluded to it as well. Uh, The biggest thing would be Pilates in such a case uh, because it addresses both lower extremity as well as upper extremity uh, strengthening. I'm so glad you mentioned Pilates. There, my cousin's a, a Pilates instructor. Instructor, if that makes sense. And she says she treats a lot of athletes, a lot. And she says she the kind of one of the big myths and misconceptions that she sees around men in general is that Pilates is just for women. Working with the teams that you have in the past, as I said, Boston Bruins, the Boston Red Sox, New England Patriots. What kind of rehab were you offering? Was you know was Pilates something that was being uh, utilized by the teams so it really depends on the player but most of those players we either instructed them to do pilates uh, and this is just the regular mat pilates no weights involved Mm -hmm. or actually yoga hatha yoga which is practically the most basic of all kinds of yoga so this is not something which is truly a strenuous exercise but it's mostly aimed at one maintaining flexibility and two statically strengthening those core muscles Dr. Baden, we've run out of time. It's been really, really interesting to talk to you. Thank you so much. I'm as someone who has got zero cartilage in their knees and has been told to not play paddle anymore. I might come to you for a second opinion. (laughs) And if anyone else, hopefully not. (laughs) I know, but I really enjoy it. Okay, sounds like a plan. (laughs) Dr. Hassan Baden, you can be found, as I said, at Health Point Hospital Abu Dhabi, where you're the head of the orthopedic department, consultant orthopedic surgeon. We'd love to have you back, as I'm sure a lot of people will be starting some pretty, uh, pretty intense New Year's resolutions in a month or so so how can we help them do that in a healthy unsustainable way so we'd love to have you back on dr hassan thank you so much for your time really really appreciate it dr hassan baidun if you want his details drop me the line on 4001
one. This content is for informational purposes only and is not intend to substitute professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Joining us live on the line between now and five o'clock, we've got Ludmilla Malava from HPL at the Malava and Pluka. This is your chance to get some free legal advice. It could be something you think is seemingly small and you're not sure if it actually warrants the time and attentions of a lawyer. It could be something that you need an expert opinion on, something that needs action now. Ludmilla joining us. As I said earlier, you don't need to put your name on a message if you'd rather not, if that's what's holding you back from getting the answers that you need. Ludmilla, happy holidays. What's keeping you busy right now? Happy holidays. Well, as um, has become customary, it seems, in Dubai or in the UAE, uh, at the end of the year, what's keeping us busy is a, a number of new laws, once mm-hmm. again, or perhaps not so many in terms of the numbers, but in terms of the substantive changes. Uh, so we're just reviewing the new laws and uh, understanding um, their application as we enter the new years, and obviously all the other all the all uh, the other work. cases that we've been managing over the course of the year. So, which ones do you think are particularly pertinent and to most people listening today um, that we need to be aware of as as we move into the new year? I think in terms of pertinence, uh, um, the, both of these laws and one in particular, which we can discuss in, in more detail, as the uh, the new civil procedure law and the new criminal procedure law. Uh, however, in terms of kind of immediate pertinence or relevance, they may seem a little less relevant to the people on a day-to-day basis, but they are, in particular, the new civil procedure law is relevant because it applies to any kind of judicial proceedings that happen in the UAE and how they're conducted. Uh, so maybe we're not, we're not, unless you are in the in, in the court case, if we're considering a filing a court case, it may feel a little less uh, less relevant, but it is quite fundamentally a, a big step forward. Uh, in general, it's it's basically the procedures that govern how to file a court case, where to file, how fast uh, was the timing that court have to decide cases, in what language, uh, and the different types of circuits and uh, lawyers' fees and service of process and so on and so forth. So, uh, and that last time perhaps kind of uh, as, as an overarching comment is that the it, this particular law replaces, which is law number 42 of 2022 uh, regarding issuing civil procedures law, and that's what it's called. It replaces the previous law from 1992. So it was a 30-year-old law. And that particular law was also, uh, over the course of the years, had been amended by a, a matter of different regulations and different um, uh, executive uh, uh, regulations and ministerial resolutions, cabinet decisions and court decisions, so on and so forth. So this new law basically takes that previous 1992 law and amends it uh, or it incorporates all the subsequent uh, executive regulations and resolutions and decisions and brings them into one body of law, which is easier to guide by and introduces a number of perhaps timely changes Mm -hmm. regarding one, I'll tell you, it's an interesting comment and with yet to see how it is going to be applied, but it's an introduction of English courts. Interesting. So, yeah, so in other English language courts, uh, we don't know much. There will be further regulations that will spell out this particular concept, but it, it introduces expressly uh, English courts uh, for specific kind of cases and specific matters and uh, uh, and, and it allows the, for, the, for further regulations to kind of set out what these specific cases and matters will be. But think about it. I mean, it's English-speaking courts, so mm-hmm. it's apart from the DIFC court, which has been in English, um, this is uh, main mainland courts that will now be will wow. exist in English. That'll be interesting in terms of because I think, and as we've spoken about before, 
of course, translation services are there. Of course, we know we've got um, typing centres to help with documentation. But I, I do feel for an awful lot of expats, the fact that things are in Arabic can you know, can feel like a bit of a deterrent um, in many, many ways. And as, you, as you've said, you know, once you scratch the surface, it's actually a lot more straightforward than a lot of people realise. But maybe to have that explicitly English um, language thing laid out from the outset, perhaps that will encourage people to take action that they might have previously dismissed. What do you think? Well, indeed. And it's, you know, it's all about access to justice, mm-hmm. because let's face it, the UAE has uh, been so welcoming and embracing of so many nationalities and languages, but primarily for better, for worse, perhaps to the extent for worse, we are all English. We operate mainly in, in English language. And I wish we all spoke better Arabic. But the reality is such that uh, even a lot of the the native Arabs uh, sort of operating amongst themselves in at least a business setting in English language mm-hmm. and all the biggest, biggest commercial transactions are in English. Um, so therefore, it's just um, it, it, logically uh, it's a lot more convenient for those who operate in the UAE to, op- uh, to, to, to at least have a, an option to operate in terms of courts in the, their language that they understand, which is English. Uh, so it's access to justice. Uh, it's, you know, it has to be um, a sort of done with a certain kind of balance in mind because at the end of the day, we're still an Arabic speaking country and Arabic is the official language. But the UAE is not the only country that has multiple languages as official languages and, and, oper- and courts operating in different languages. So uh, absolutely, I think it will allow people access to justice. It will it will make the courts and the, le- uh, the legal framework in the UAE a lot more accessible to people. And, the, and I will tell you, and I've, I've mentioned this before, uh, often with regards to the technology. Uh, and by, by the way, these regulations, once again, <clears throat> introduced expressly the use of remote technology for civil procedures. And that too, uh, uh, having or being able to apply <clears throat> to court using technology has been very helpful and has given that additional access to justice over the last uh, several years to the general population. But now that combined with the English language uh, will uh, make the courts even uh, that, that much more accessible. chance to get the answers that you need live on Dubai I 103.8 and we are going to go to the text line now. Lud Miller with us through until five o'clock so if you do have any questions, concerns, you want an expert's second opinion or just testing the waters with a legal expert, this is your chance. Um, Dee has been in touch saying, I recently learned that a colleague has been spreading rumours, including comments to management, about me having an addiction to alcohol. This is absolutely not true. I raised a grievance where I had a meeting with my manager in HR and left the meeting feeling hopeful that things might be resolved. They did nothing. They asked me to name a few witnesses, which I did. The witnesses have not been asked anything. Nothing has changed. We have a lot of new staff and it won't take much for little seeds of doubt to grow in their mind and I worry about my reputation. Would a cease and desist letter against the colleague in question be effective? Lidmila, what does the law have to say about, well, slander, defamation? Where, 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 what would this come under the category of? Well, there's two sides of uh, to this particular, perhaps two different approaches uh, uh, to this particular dilemma or situation. One is from the employment side of things, and the other one is from the criminal side of uh, things. So, from the from uh, with regards to the employment uh, and uh, the employer's responsibility to address these kinds of matters, uh, the the law, the current labor law, does provide that uh, no um, so disc- there's no discrimination, there is no abuse uh, allowed in employment in the workspace. So perhaps there's something in the law in and of itself where uh, that you can now rely on as an employee to uh, to expect or at least to call the employer uh, to the task. 
Uh, but since the law in this is, is new in general, but with regards to this particular issue, it has not quite been settled yet. So it remains to be seen how employers, the companies are going to be uh, punished if they don't address these set of situations. But also from the employment side of things, it could be that the company itself has its internal procedures or should have internal procedures to address these kinds of the spreading of the rumors and the uh, unfair treatment of employees and such. But that's on the corporate side of things, and therefore it's really for the company to uh, uh, to to address these issues. And if they refuse to do so, your uh, only perhaps effective uh, remedy is to is to resign, because you cannot force the company necessarily to do anything about it. Even if you were to bring a court case against them, that probably would not result in a long term uh, and, and happily and lasting relationship between the employee and the employer. Now there's a more effective approach, and that is through the criminal uh, through the criminal laws, and that is in the UAE as per the UAE criminal punishment law, any sort of um, uh, spreading of rumors, uh, defamation, uh, damage to reputation, disclosure of private information, any one of these could be a separate offense under the criminal law, which ultimately leads to criminal sanctions against the person. Uh, so, and the law is fairly effective, not, not just the law, but also the UAE legal system is quite effective about um, bringing or addressing these kinds of matters. Uh, but it does come down to how you prove that somebody is spreading rumors against you and um, these these kinds of rumors. And by the way, these um, these laws apply in even if uh, the um, information is true. Uh, so uh, uh, and and this would be a lot more effective than even filing um, a cease and desist letter. You could do it. Uh, but uh, it certainly would be more effective if you if you if there was evidence, for example, that there was text messages or uh, or emails or um, even witnesses uh, that you would approach the police and and um, and file a complaint against a particular person for spreading rumors and for damaging reputation and for defamation. And so once the police uh, gets involved, uh, it's a lot more effective than a cease and desist letter. That being said, in a lot of these kinds of cases, there isn't direct evidence that the police would be able to rely on, for example, by virtue of uh, a text message or or WhatsApp or an email saying oh, this person, for example, has an addiction problem, so on and so forth. But if there is that kind of evidence, then the police would be the the uh, the most effective way of approaching this. And, but if there isn't, then a cease and desist letter could be helpful in which you would then state the different laws that yes. this kind of behavior violates. But you just need to be mindful in terms of uh, the effectiveness of these cease and desist. They, you know, over the years, I've learned even if they're drafted and, and sent by lawyers and the local advocates, um, they are not often effective. Okay. Adi, I'm really sorry you're going through this. Ludmilla, thank you for outlining a few different options there from a few different perspectives as well. Ludmilla Malava from HPL, the Malava and Pluka, joining us live. Ludmilla, we've got so many questions. Would it be okay to do a bit of a quick fire round? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. I thought you'd be up for the challenge. A message here saying, in 2019, we paid for a holiday package to France, but our visa was not granted. We opened up a case at Dubai Courts, paid all the fees, but has still not been followed up until this date. It ended up losing the holiday fees and now court fees. Please advise the way forward. So I'm guessing this is a dispute between them and the, the company that they booked it through. I'm not sure why you go to court. Can you explain what the process might be? 
Perhaps it would be to uh, request a refund for the tour itself, since the tour was not possible. But in terms of the legal claim, it depends on the terms and conditions uh, that um, this particular transaction was based on. And in many in many ways, I would imagine that there might be um, an exclusion for the travel company to return the money uh, in the event it's not their fault. And so in this particular case, since the visas were refused, not so much by it wasn't anything of the of doing by the travel agency, but rather through um, um, by virtue of the government of whatever country you wanted to go to refused your visa so it may be that the agency is arguing it's not their fault and that they have um, they've fulfilled all their conditions i'm not sure if that's the issue or the issue is the filing of the of, of the procedure perhaps of the court case itself um so uh, since you filed the case and it's i'm not quite clear from the message whether the case is proceeding or the case is not uh, being um, uh, followed up on uh, so if that's the case if it's procedurally the issue then uh, it really depends on who's representing you in the case if you're representing yourself then uh, which is possible now using the different technologies i've mentioned before mm-hmm. uh, but it does require understanding the system understanding the procedures and making on the right arguments and also following up um, so if it is a procedural issue then it just you need to be more vigilant and more proactive in terms of following up with the different uh, court services to make sure that your complaint uh, is being reviewed uh, in the alternative if it's not uh, the procedure but rather the substantive arguments then i guess i would imagine that would be the argument that the travel agency would, would make and that is that it's not their fault and they mm-hmm. have fulfilled their obligations and therefore it's sort of a tough luck kind of a scenario so, but it seems to me that at least a, fund, uh, a substantive level there should be a legal argument for some kind of a refund Okay, hope that helps. But as Liz Miller says, you you can't sit back. You've got to be proactive in making sure because I'm sure they've got a lot on their plate, as, as you do too. Um, let's go to the phone line. Uh, no name on this message, but asking about getting a loan and trying to get some emails. I found out that my mortgage broker um, had tried to cover the tracks of their own shortcomings in their dealings with the bank by actually threatening the bank advisor um, about the information that they could share with me about the correspondence between both the bank and the mortgage advisor. And I knew that on emails and on correspondence that that mortgage advisor had made those threats, but I was unable to use those emails because the bank didn't want to affect their relationship with the mortgage broker. So it was a bit of a an ecosystem I wasn't a part of. And so I really wanted to know that if I wanted to pursue the advisor for, for his negligence, if I'd be able to make a claim through maybe small claims or through a lawyer to get access to those emails. What do you think, Ludmilla? Covering up a paper trail? Uh, well, it kind of depends on what what are we fighting for ultimately? Is it just to punish the advisor or is it to uh, recover fees that were paid to the advisor or is it to recover uh, some kind of compensation that the listener thinks that he might have suffered? Uh, so any one of these um, claims is, is substantive or fundamental in terms of deciding what to do and whether to do anything. So I would say if the purpose of the goal is to punish the advisor, it's just not worth the, the, the effort. I would not recommend it either through the small claims or in any other way. It's just just replace or get a new um, bro- brokerage advi- agent. Uh, so that would be my recommendation if that was the purpose. If the purpose is to, for example, recover fees that were paid to the advisor, that's something different. Mm-hmm. In this particular case, it would be uh, if you could file a case uh, on the mainland, Dubai, there isn't really an option for what's called like a smoke, a smoke claims tribunal, which exists in the DIFC, at least for the time being. Uh, so um, it's, it's the same kind of court process. And once again, you can file it on on your own through the online court portal. But um and it's still a substantive court process. If, for example, the idea is to uh, uh, to see compensation for what you would have suffered, 
uh, that claim is possible, but you really need to have substantive and actual evidence of how it is that you suffered financially, not just emotionally and mentally, uh, but financially. And I would imagine in a case like this, it's a lot more difficult to uh, uh, to do because unless you, for example, lost the property and that property is now worth uh, X um, uh, amount of money more than, um, you know, but again, that sort of requires some um, uh, document or preparation and uh, sourcing of evidence. Uh, so it won't be so easy. And finally, if the reason is, as the listener mentioned, uh, that uh, to obtain documents, um, um, that can be possible through a payment order, for example, or, or a payment order, uh, an order and petition, which is one an administrative claim. But again, I'm not sure for what purpose do you need those documents, to okay. what end. Uh, so again, if you want those documents so that you can file a case against the advisor and, and punish uh, him, I, I, I give you practical advice. That's just not worth the effort. That could be the most useful advice ever when you think about time and energy spent and for what, as you as you rightfully say. So nail that down and maybe work backwards from there. Um, a message here saying, good afternoon, my wife's company, a renowned retail luxury brand, has informed all employees via WhatsApp group communication that they all must work 10 hours per day during the month of December due to high sales expected. Is this legal? Thank you. It's uh, it's not illegal. However, if this amounts to overtime, then by law, this would be then employees would have a claim for overtime uh, if there are specific positions. So usually overtime does not apply to senior or management type employees, uh, but for everyone else, they have a legal claim for overtime. But again, depends on uh, what their current schedule is, because by law, the um, uh, the hours per day, it's so the law actually relies on a six uh, day work week. So if you're working five days work week, uh, then it ends up being about nine and a half hours of um, uh, of uh, per day of mm-hmm. working hours. Um, so if you're being asked to work ten hours uh, versus nine and a half hours, so your overtime would be fairly minimal. Uh, but it, but that is based on the assumption that you're working five days a week versus six days a week, which is uh, which is what what's allowed by the law. So in other words, the law allows a 40-day, a 48-hour work week, which ends up being about um, nine, nine and a half hours per day. Okay, hope that helps. Um, no name on this one saying, hi, Lord Miller, what is the legal age of a person where he or she can be convicted of misbehaviour? It doesn't outline what that misbehaviour could or could be, but is there a, is there a general rule? Well, the misbehavior is like you rightfully said. It depends on what type of misbehavior. So there is what's called the juvenile law, sorry, laws for juveniles. So, and it depends on the exact uh, cause of action. Uh, so, if, if it's over the age of eighteen, then they would more or less be uh, judged as as the age of majority for the purposes of of court cases or uh, criminal responsibility. If they're below the age of eighteen, but uh, but above sixteen, uh, then certain cases can be filed against them as juveniles. And anything below 16, or again, depends on the cause of action, then the, the parents will also be brought uh, to justice, so to speak. So it really depends on the actual uh, cause of action. So with this, let's say, 16 to 18-year-old, is there, I don't know how to put this, kind of a residential um, punishment? Is there anywhere that kind of, I guess, in the UK, um, there would be somewhere where that kind of 16 to 18 bracket would go? Is that the case here or not? That's exactly the idea, yes. So if, if the person is accused, but remember, it has to be an actual substantive cause of action. Misbehavior in and of itself is, uh, again, it's a very broad broad term, uh, but it has to be a substantive uh, 
crime, if you will. And then the punishment for this crime, as you rightfully said, it would not be, it's not jail, it's other kind of, or, or perhaps more lenient uh, and a little softer. For example, there could be um, uh, treatment, mental treatment. Uh, there could be some type of sort of sort of community service and such. Uh, and there's specific, specific facilities for juveniles that are being accused of crime. Mm-hmm. Okay. One very quick last question. Let's see if we can help out. Um, no name here saying if an employer gives an employee only two days off in a month, does the employee have the right to sue? Uh, you always have the right to sue as an employee for anything. Even if you don't have a claim, you have the right to sue. Now, whether your claim is winnable is something else. But in this particular case, the employee has the right to sue for the um, the remainder or the compensation for the remainder of days off for which they are not being paid. Uh, so absolutely, they have not only the right to sue, but they also have an actionable claim. Uh, they just need to make sure that um, it's substantiated in sense of it. But interestingly enough, actually, the burden of proof uh, to prove that the days off were taken is on the company, not the employee. So the employee can certainly make a claim that they were not compensated or allowed to take time off. And therefore, they're, uh, they're entitled to that compensation. And the company has to disprove and in other words, has to prove that somehow these days that that employee actually took the days, which um, they're using them um, for. So, but in most cases, companies don't really keep this sort of uh, documentation. So uh, the employee definitely has an, uh, a practical winnable case. Okay, Bluma, thank you so much. That was a whirlwind of expert advice. Um, always do appreciate your time. For anyone that we didn't get to today, we'll put your questions aside for next week. And in the meantime, Ludmilla, where can people follow you and indeed HPL Malvin Pluka for more insights, more looking behind the headlines, and of course, answering questions as well? Well, we have a fairly prolific social media um, presence, as you know, but the best way to look us up is just uh, on our website, lylawyers.com, lylawyers.com, and there you can find all the links to different social media where we post a lot of free legal advice. Thank you so, so much for your time, as ever. Wishing you a good week ahead, a calm week, hopefully, and we'll catch up with you next Monday. Ludmilla Malova, if you want those details, drop me a little line on 4001. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai I 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai I 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai I in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.